of the cross. And the goal, again, is uh, we go through, um, we'll try to go through all the pictures, unless something I miss, but we'll try to go through all the pictures of the Old Testament about the cross of Christ. And again, the point is we want to show that the cross is God's focal point from Genesis chapter 1 all the way throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God has always had the cross of Christ in mind. Amen? Amen. Sister Laura, how many gifts do you have? Or how many? Five. So I'm going to ask five questions, and we'll see who can uh, get all of them, okay? What was the first week? What did we talk about? Yes. What, what exactly? What part? What more specifically? We talked about introduction, right? We introduced that. Okay, and we said that the cross is God's focal point from, anybody remembers what we talked about? Throughout the scripture, okay, that's one of them. Well, Sister Nancy will have one. And we also said that the cross is God's focal point. What else? From eternity, that's question number two. Amen, Brother Emmanuel gets one. And we said that the cross is God's focal point. What is that? Jesus Christ, correct, he died on the cross, but that's not the right answer. And uh, you remember what else we said? The cross is God's focal point from the creation of the world, right? We, we highlighted these three things in the first week. Now, second week, we spoke about the first picture of the cross in the Old Testament. Anybody remembers? What was it? That, exactly. You get another one. You answer the question, you get a prize. That was Genesis 3.15. The promise that God made to Eve that the head of the serpent, the head of the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Amen? All right, so that was second week. And then third week, that was last week, right? What did we talk about? Another picture of the cross. The blood of Jesus, correct. Do you remember exactly what we talked about? That it's Correct. We talked about how God provided the covering, they'll take the gift, uh, how God provided coats of skin for Adam and Eve, right? And we talk that, that tells us that man's attempt to be saved is futile, right? It's not going to work, right? And God has to provide that salvation, right? So what is that scripture that we used last week? Anybody remembers where it was or what it says, and then you'll get the prize for it. Genesis 3:21 and it says that the Lord made I want to give the prize to somebody the Lord made coats of skin okay she gets the last one <laughs> the Lord made coats of skin for them and he covered them amen now that's it. And we saw that's a picture of God's um, atoning for our sins. Today, we're going to move along and we're going to see a different picture of the cross in the Old Testament. And that is through the Ark of Noah. Okay? So what we're going to do today is um, the Ark of Noah is actually two full chapters or actually three chapters in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to recap the story with you real quick, just in case you're not familiar with it. And then we're going to read bits and pieces from these two chapters that we want to highlight together. Amen? So it happens that men start multiplying after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And there was a lot of people. And they start sinning against God. Sin was so prominent. 
And God started looking at man and his sin. And God, the Bible says that the Lord regretted. He just felt sorry that man is living in sin and he's being disobedient to God. So God wanted to punish the sin of man during the times of Noah. But there was one man, his name was Noah, and he was a righteous man, the Bible says. He found favor in God's eyes, right? So God came to Noah and he said, Noah, the end of all human beings, the old flesh has come before me. But because you're a righteous man, I want you to be saved. So here is what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark, big, massive, gigantic ark. And I'm going to rain water. The, the whole earth will be flooded with water. But you and your family, you need to get into that water, into that uh, ark and then you will be saved and not only that Noah I want you to go around and I want you to tell everyone that they can be saved through that ark we don't know how long the ark was taken uh, to be built but a conservative estimate we will assume somewhere about 50 60 years give or take within that range just if you look at different hints in the scripture you will assume about 60 years so 60 years Noah going around telling everybody to run to the ark and take refuge from the flood. But at the end of 60 years, you know how many people listened? None. Only his family. Him and his wife, his three kids, his three boys and their wives. That's eight people total. And I think they did it just because, you know, it's part of the family. Family stick together, you know. I'm not sure if they would have listened otherwise. So they all get into the boat and the Bible says that for 40 days and 40 nights, God reigned. The gates of heaven opened and the fountains of the earth flooded and for 40 days and 40 nights there was so much water that even the highest mountain was covered on earth. And that massive gigantic ark was just floating. And then I think after five months, God um, started blowing some wind and that wind started drying the land and eventually Noah and his family got, uh, got out of the ark and... That's where they started the human race again. Amen. So let's read now some parts of that story in, in the book of Genesis. And then we're going to um, try to highlight a couple of things here. So we're going to read bits and pieces from Genesis 6.1 to 7.23. Now, when the human race or the human beings began to increase in number on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of human, the daughter of man, were beautiful. And they married um, any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Verse 4, The Nephilim were in the earth those days, and also afterward, and they were sons, um, and the sons of God went into the daughters of human and had children by them, and they were heroes of old men of renown. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of, um, of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Think about that. Look at that. How many inclination? Every single inclination of thought of the human heart was what? Only evil. Do you, do you see that? They don't even have any like 5% good and 95% bad. It's all bad. How often? All the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply what? Troubled. Troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And 
with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. And then we're going to skip to Genesis 7, 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day, on the, on the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst, burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven were opened, and rain fell on um, and let me see, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a deep of more than fifteen cubits. Verse 21: Every living thing that moved, um, that moved on land, perished. Bird, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Verse 22: Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostril died. Every living being on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the grounds and the birds were wiped out of the earth. And this is the part we're going to stop at today. Look at this. Only, let's say that together. Only Noah was left and those with him were in the ark. Let's say it again one more time. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. These are the only people who lived. Everybody else died. And in that, in that picture, in that story that we just heard and understood, there is a picture of the cross of Christ, a picture of Calvary. And I want to highlight three similarities between that story of the ark and the cross of Christ. Amen? Three highlights. Number one, God will surely judge sin. Number two, safety can only be found in Christ within. Amen? And number three, the ark divided into two groups, all sorts of men. Do you see it rhymes, right? So let's say it again together. Number one, God will surely judge sin. Number two, safety can only be found in Christ within. And number three, the ark divided into two groups, all sorts of men. Amen? So let's start with the first idea the first similarity is God will surely judge sin amen if we go back to Genesis 6 verse 1 let's read through that it's it's a little bit a hard passage so we're going to try to understand what the Bible is telling us Genesis 6 1 when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men are beautiful and they married any anyone they chose. Okay? This verse right here is one of, yeah, very difficult, very, very difficult verse to understand. What is the Bible talking about here? And honestly, there is two main ways, there is only two ways to understand the word sons of God here or, you know, that verse in general. There is a supernatural way of understanding that, and there is a non-supernatural way of understanding that. The supernatural way is that the sons of God here pretty much refers to angels, or maybe even some sort of, yeah, some sort of spiritual being, like angels or demonic angels or something like that. 
but mainly will be like good angels since they're the sons of God. And then uh, the daughters of men will be just human beings, like, you know, normal women. And they somehow intermarried and produced that kind of strange race that the Bible called gigantic giants that the Bible talks about in verse 4. I think that's the more, for me personally, I'm leaning toward that just because of verse 4. It will make no sense if there's nothing supernatural here going on. The non-supernatural way is that the sons of men here refers to the godly descendant of Seth, the, 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 the son of Adam, who intermarried with a non-godly uh, woman, the, the descendant of Cain. And, you know, the, the, that inter, intermarriage between wicked and good people or godly and ungodly people is what was a sin, right? So that's the only way of looking at it. I really don't care which way is the right way because there is good support for this one and good support for this one. The end of the day is this. We know that whatever that case, it was something very sinful. That's what we know for sure, right? It really did provoke the wrath of God, right? So we know that to be for sure. Whatever the case is, it's not a big deal right now. All right, now... Um, God said that because of that, and then we read through that, how the very intent, every inclination of man's heart was only wickedness all the time. There was evil and evil and evil and evil everywhere throughout that land. Amen? Amen. Does that remind you of anything? Yes. How about the 21st century right now? Amen? There is... Amen. There's evil, there's perversion everywhere, there's sin everywhere. Husbands cheats on their wives, wives cheats on their husbands. Pornography, homosexuality, immorality, lying, cheating, manipulating, killing, innocent blood is being shed. Does that sound like Genesis 6, right? It's sin everywhere. But just like in that time, in Genesis chapter 6, God ultimately punished sin, right? And the flood came and every soul that has a breath in it, every being that has breath in it, ended up dying, right? So also will happen in our days. Amen? Amen. Now, so think about that. God surely did punish sin in the days of Noah, right? But even though God, he's a holy God and he hated that sin and he wanted to punish every sin, yet in spite of him so eagerly wanted to punish that sin, he still showed so much grace and so much love to the people. Do you see that? Let me point out to you a couple of times. Number one, he said in, verse, in Genesis 6, verse 3, my spirit will not contend with human, for, for, with human forever, right? What God is saying here is saying, the idea here is this. God is saying this. I have given my spirit to the human and my spirit is judging the humans. Keep pointing out to them their wickedness and keep trying to convince them to turn from that evil and come back to me, right? And they, my spirit has been contending, have been judging, have been struggling, striving with them to try to bring them back. But guess what? I am not going to do that forever. In a way, God is saying, I have been doing it for so long. Do you see that? I have been doing it for so long and I'm tired of trying to convince them to repent and come back to me. Amen? So God said, I am not going to let my spirit content in them forever. And then he said, their days will be only 120 days. And that's it, right? Now, what does God mean by 120 days? Does that mean that he caps the age of the human race at 120 age? Probably not. Probably not. Because we know that after the flood, many people lived more than 120 days, right? 
And Moses, I think Moses said in the book of one of the Psalms that Moses wrote, said that our days are 70 and with struggling, you're going to be 80, right? So I don't think God was capping the individual human age to 120. I think God was saying here that after 120 years, I'm going to bring the flood and I'm going to destroy every single human being on earth at that time, right? The problem with that is we know that the flood only, that the ark only took like 60, 50 years to be built, right? But God here said 120 years, right? So it seems like, this is the way I understand it, no support for it, you don't have to agree with me. It seems like that incidence when God said, my spirit will never content with the human race forever. I'm going to limit, limit his, this race to 120 years. God waited a little bit. There was a gap. And then after that, God came to Noah and he said, I'm going to ruin everybody. I need you to build an ark. And that was 60 years from that. From that time, God spoke to Noah. Till the day the flood came, there was about 60 years. Do you guys see that? It seems like there was a gap here. God, God came to the conclusion that I'm not going to do it forever. 120 years, I'm going to destroy all the human being. Then he waited about 50, 60 years. Then he appointed Noah and said, build the ark. Another 50 or 60 years and the flood came. Amen? But think about that. Think about that. I want you to see how even though God hated sin, and God wanted so bad to punish that sin. He regretted it. His heart was troubled by it. Yet in the midst of all of that, he kept on extended grace to the sinful people. Do you see that? Right? Number one, his spirit has been contending with them forever. Right? For the longest time, his spirit has been judging and trying to convince them that they were returned from their wicked ways to him. Amen? And when God was so fed up, what does he do? He gave them 120 years. That's still a long time, right? Yeah. That's God so fed up with sin. But he said, you know what? I'm going to wait another 120 years just in case they repent and come back to me. Do you see the heart of God? Do you see that, right? Even though he's holy and righteous and will surely judge sin, yet it is never his will for a single soul to die and perish. It is his will that all come to find life in Jesus. Amen? And that's why he kept on extending one opportunity after another, one grace after another for people so they can repent of their sins and come to him. Amen? And not only that, God did another thing. In the book of Peter, we read this. We read um, that God sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness to the people. Amen? And that will be, um, let's read 2 Peter 2.5. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, that's his family. So Peter was telling us that Noah was a preacher. He went there for almost 60 years, every single day, warning the people that the flood will come. Amen? Amen. Do you see the grace of God in the midst of his wrath and his judgment and his anger and his broken heart because of sin, he still extended grace and he's sending somebody called Noah to warn the people to return from their sins. Amen? Amen. Look at this, 1 Peter 3.20. This is Peter again talking about the days of Noah and he said, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, the Greek for it is like God so patiently waited for them so waitingly waited he waited so patiently beyond every description beyond every possible imagination God waited for so long during the days of Noah before he brings the flood amen, amen. why did he wait 
because his long suffering and his patience is because he's not willing that none should perish. It wasn't God's will for the people in the days of Noah to die and perish. Amen? It wasn't his plan for them. It wasn't his desire for them. It's not his heart for them. It is not what he has in mind for them. He kept on extending grace after grace after grace. But the people insisted on rejecting the grace and the love of God. And what did they end up with? They ended up with his wrath when they kept saying no to his grace. Amen? Amen. God will surely judge sin. Amen? This is exactly what's happening nowadays. You see sin and perversion everywhere in this world. Amen? And people think that because we're, because everything is the same, because we wake up in the morning, we do business as usual, therefore there might be either no God or God doesn't care about sin, right? But the fact of the matter is God, is God is a holy and a righteous God. He hates sin. He will judge sin. He's just being patient because he's not willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? The fact that God is being patient with sin doesn't mean he's okay with sin. Amen? I'll say that again. The fact that God is being patient with sin doesn't mean he is okay with sin. Amen? Yeah, he's patient with it because he doesn't want the sinner to perish, but he's not okay with it. Amen? Amen. And I want you to see these two main points here in this story. Number one, in as much as God waited, punishment ultimately came, right? God waited 120 years. God kept on giving them a chance after a chance after a chance. Yet the fact that he was patient and waiting and giving them grace ultimately came to an end, right? And ultimately the flood came. And ultimately every single soul that refused his love and his grace perished. Amen? Look at this. 2 Peter 3, 3-10. Listen to what Peter was saying. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come. Sounds familiar? Okay, scoffers. People say, oh, Christianity is dumb. Who cares? The Bible is nothing, you know. Scoffing and following their own evil desire. And they say, they will say, where is this coming? Do you see that quote that the NIV put? Where is this coming he's promised? Well, you know, people say, you say God will judge sin, that God is a holy God. Where is that? Where is his coming to punish sin? Everything is the same. Since the day we were born, everything the same. Sin is even abounding more and more and more. And you tell me God is a holy God. He's not a holy God. He doesn't care about sin. He will never judge sin. And that's what Peter was telling us. People will scoff and say, where is this coming that he has promised? But here is the answer that Peter is giving them in verse 9, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. He's not slow to come and judge sin. He's not slow to come and punish the sinner. He's not slow in, his, in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. And instead he's being what? Patient with you. Why? Because he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen? So God, God is patient. Let's just try to milk it as much as we can. No, look at the beginning of verse 10. But the day of the Lord, what? Will come. come. There's no question about it. It surely will come. Amen? Even though God is being patient now because he's not willing that none should perish, it doesn't mean that the day of judgment will not come. Amen? But the day of the Lord will come in spite of the fact that he's being so patiently waiting. Amen? Amen. So, 
His patience, his waitings doesn't mean that he's never going to judge sin. Amen? But I want you to notice another thing. As much as the grace was during the time of Noah, also the judgment was great in the times of Noah. Okay? His grace was beyond description, but his judgment ended up to be beyond description. Amen? I mean, the Bible tells us, look at this. Let's just read a couple of verses from Genesis 7:20. Here's what the Bible says. And the water rose and covered the mountain to the depth of more than 15 cubits. It doesn't say that the water was 15 feet or 15 cubits over the earth, right? It's 15 feet above the highest mountain that can ever be on planet earth. Amen? Some other people say that the ark was 30 feet tall. And they say that the ark was sinking 15 feet in the water. This is how high the water was. Whatever the case is, it is massive amount of water that the highest mountain was 15 feet short than the level of the water. Amen? Verse 21. Every, look at this. How much? How many? Every, right? Every living thing that moved on land perished. Even the birds and the livestock and the wild animals. Think about this. The birds could not fly high enough to avoid the water. Amen? It doesn't matter how high the bird will fly. The water was still higher than that. Amen? Amen. The judgment was severe. Everything, and then it says, verse 22, everything on dry land that has breath of life in its nostril died. Every living thing on the the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds were what? Wiped out of the face of the earth. Can I tell you something? I believe that the reason why God was so gracious and His grace was so great to these people is because God knew that His judgment would be so severe. And He knew that when His judgment starts, there is nothing that can stand in His way of punishing their sin. And that's why, because He knew how bad the judgment would be, He waited and waited and waited and waited because He did not want them to perish and die and face that judgment. Amen? But God will surely judge sin. Amen? Amen. Some might say, oh, pastor, are you trying to scare us? Yes, I am. I'm trying to scare you. Because if you're not right with God, you need to be scared. Amen? Because God's judgment is no joke. He is surely going to judge sin. So God will surely judge sin. But number two, safety can only be found in Christ within. Amen? Amen? Let's look at that part in Genesis 7, the very last verse that we read, verse 23, the very last part. Only Noah was left and those who was him in the ark. Do you see the contrast? Everything that has a breath was wiped out except Noah and those who was left with him in the ark. Amen? For 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, that the wells, the fountains of water on earth was burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven was open, and water started flooding every single being that has breath in it. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the judgment and the wrath of God over sin was being poured out on the human race. Amen? Except on Noah and his sons and his family. Why? Because they were 
and the ark, right? Let me ask you a question. Did the water, did the judgment of God fall on the ark or it didn't fall on the ark? It did, right? The water rained. It fell in the ark, right? It's just the ark was the shield for Noah and his family from the wrath of God, right? And if you're not in that shield, you got to face the judgment yourself, right? You either protected in the ark or you got to face the wrath yourself. Amen? And that's precisely a picture of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Amen? That Listen, the judgment of God going to fall either way. Jesus took it in your behalf on the cross. Amen? If you run to him and take refuge in the blood, then the judgment will pass over you. If you refuse to take shield in the blood of Jesus, in the cross of Christ, from the wrath of God, then guess what? This judgment is going to fall on you one day. It's really simple. It's not that complicated. Amen? Amen. It's the choice is yours. Which one would you like to do? But the Bible tells us that the very wrath of God over our sins, Jesus carried himself on the cross. Just like the ark, when the ark took the punishment of God and protected Noah and his family. So the blood of Jesus, he took our punishment and he will protect every single soul that take refuge in that blood. Amen? Amen. Let's read a couple of verses here. Isaiah 53, 5-6, this is a prophecy about Christ. And here is what Isaiah said. But he was pierced for what? For our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And look at this. We're all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him what? The iniquity of us all. Our wrath, our judgment, our sin that we deserve. God took it from us and he transferred it and he put it on Christ on the cross. Amen? And just like that ark, the very judgment of God fell on that ark to protect Noah and those who are in the ark. So is the blood of Jesus. Amen? First Peter 3.18 For Christ only also did what? Suffered. It wasn't fun for him. It was suffering. He suffered because of the judgment and the wrath of God. Once for all sins that ever committed. The righteous for his own wickedness, the Bible says, right? No, the righteous for who? For the unrighteous. He's the righteous and we're the unrighteous. But on the cross, he took our place. Amen? And the very sins that we committed, the very punishment that we deserve was fallen on him on the cross and he suffered for us. Amen? Why is all of that? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Amen? Jesus took our punishment on the cross and in his blood there is refuge from the wrath of God that is about to be revealed over our sins and over our wickedness. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 13, 11 to 12. For the bodies of the animals who, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin were burned outside the camp. So Jesus also, what did he do? He suffered. Why did he suffer? Because of the wrath of God that fell upon him. And he suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Amen? Amen. Do you see that? 
When that ark for 40 days and 40 nights, I tell you, God was looking from heaven. And I know he see the water is being fallen. And everybody's dying from that flood of water. And only those who are in the ark is being saved. And I know that God was looking in heaven. And he was thinking thousands and thousands of years later, when his wrath, his judgment will fall in his son. And those who take refuge in his blood will be rescued and saved from his wrath once and forever. Amen. But number three, the ark divided to two groups, all sorts of men. Amen? Amen? Think about this. For 60 years, 120 years, God is struggling with people, trying to convince them to repent. For 60 years, Noah is being a preacher of righteousness, telling them to repent. And then after all of that, the flood starts coming. Amen? And the Bible says that the Lord shot Noah in the ark. Amen? Now, think about it. On that day, when the water started falling and the Lord shut the door, the whole world was divided into only two groups of people, right? You're either outside the ark or you're inside the ark. That's just as simple as that, right? It didn't matter if, you, if you're white or black. It didn't matter if you're rich or poor. It didn't matter if you're one feet from the ark or you're miles and miles away from the ark. It wouldn't matter when, if you was the, the, the nicest, sweetest person outside the ark or the most wicked person outside the ark, right? Nothing mattered when the wrath of God starts falling down except one simple question. Are you in the ark or are you outside the ark? Amen? And that's exactly, exactly what the blood of Jesus also does. That's what the cross of Christ also does. When Jesus was crucified, there was how many people next to him? Two people. One on his right and one on his left. One accepted and one refused. It's the same thing. The blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, divides the whole world into two groups. Those who are in him and those who are outside of him. Amen? Those who are in him will be saved from the judgment of God. And those who are outside of him, it doesn't matter how sincere they are, how close they are to the ark. They might know all the engineering techniques about the ark and how the ark flowed. And they may even help Noah build the ark, right? But at the end of the day, when the judgment of God started coming, it didn't matter if he was the chief architect behind the ark that Noah hired to build the ark for him. Amen? only counted one thing is he in the ark or are you outside the ark amen? amen and it's the exact same thing nowadays the same story is repeating itself over and over and over and over god is being patient with sin but it doesn't mean that he's not going to punish sinners amen? amen but god who in the old time has provided a way for sinners to be saved from his judgment through the ark that he commanded noah to build has also done the same thing in the new testament amen he sent Jesus to die on the cross to shed his blood so that his blood will be our shelter and our refuge from the wrath of God. Amen? Amen. But it's up to you and me to decide if we want to be in the ark or be outside the ark. Amen? It's up to you. It's up to you. I, I don't know about you. It didn't bother. I, from the story, I don't see that God was bothered much that it was only eight people in the ark. Right? I, I don't, don't think God was very offended by it. Right? Eight people, fair enough. One person, good enough. I'm just making it available, but whoever wills have to accept it. Whoever wants have to accept it. I'm not going to force people in, right? He's not going to force you in. 
He's not going to force you to repent of your sins. He's not going to force you to walk with him. You have to make the decision to repent of your sins, to turn around and say, God, I'm running today to the blood of Jesus. Today I'm taking refuge in his blood from the wrath that I righteously and rightly earned because of my sins. Amen? If you do so, if you do so, just like in that old time when the ark shielded Noah and his children from the wrath of God, the blood of Jesus today will be your refuge from the wrath of God. Amen? Amen. Let's all close our eyes and pray.